Hi, my name is Mike. I will be uh, your tour guide through the scriptures tonight. We're going through a uh, little mini-series here called uh, The State of Scum, or The State of the Scum. State of the Scum, part two, we relate. Uh, last time was we receive. This time it's we relate. That wasn't intentional, but... Maybe, you know, I'll do an R-E word for the third part next week, and uh, then I'll be just like every other cool megachurch pastor that I respect. Speaking of megachurches, don't they seem rather large and impersonal sometimes? I mean, you got, you know, 10,000 people going to one place, 30,000 people if you're at Saddleback. Isn't that kind of daunting? Let me tell you the thing I like about megachurches is you can go there and be totally anonymous. You can go in and you can leave and not talk to anybody. And it's like going to a play or a theater or a show. And I think that's kind of cool. We do that at Scum here. I mean, honestly, I've had people who come uh, because they're introverts, they really don't want to talk to anybody. And they like the fact that we're a very unfriendly church overall. That someone isn't standing at the door, shaking their hand, walking in them, memorizing their name, writing their information down in the card. We do have the smokers out front. Uh, by the way, um, if you weren't aware, uh, smokers are the official greeters here at Scum of the Earth. So uh, if you are a smoker and you're out front, you are hereby ordained to, uh, to be a greeter at Scum. Just don't scare people off. Be nice. Offer them a cigarette. I don't care. Just, uh, you know. That's kind of, I need to, you know, refresh people's memories every now and then. But overall, Scum has been known to be a a less than friendly church. Um, And I think it kind of comes with the territory. Honestly, if, if you're starting a church for people who feel left out of other churches, then you're tending to get the folks who usually aren't the best at connecting, and, um, you know, introverted artists, types, navel gazers, very intent, meditative personalities, you know, they go into your your man cave or go into your your woman cave and and come up with the next great American novel or the, you know, song that's going to change the world or the poem that's going to get a million hits on YouTube. Those are the kind of folks who tend to Attract, And then what happens, too, is that um, because we are the kind of place for those folks, they, they come together, and then, um, you know, when you find people of like mind, you tend to, to stick like glue. And so then a new person coming in is maybe finding it extremely difficult to attach to the group because the group is so tightly woven together. And uh, that can be a problem. So what do megachurches and what do even unfriendly churches like Scum of the Earth Church do in order to give people a connecting point? Well, one of the things we do is we start small groups because we know that the big group can be impersonal and the small group can be more personal. So we say everybody should belong to a small group. We've been doing this like since the you know, 1960s, the small group thing. And 
In some ways it's worked and in some ways it hasn't. I did an uh, internet search on churches and small groups this week, came up with this little article by a guy named Brian Jones. This is what he said, why churches should euthanize small groups. A few years ago, I brought in a nationally recognized pastor to do some consulting for our church. One of the things I remember most about my time with him was a side conversation we had about small groups. Um, I really haven't figured out the small group thing. I confessed to him. Well, Brian, that's because they don't work. Small groups are things that trick us into believing we're serious about making disciples. The problem is 90% of small groups never produce one single disciple, ever. They help Christians make shallow friendships, that's for sure. They're great at helping Christians feel a a tenuous connection to their local church, and they do a bang-up job of teaching Christians how to act like other Christians in the evangelical Christian subculture. But when it comes to creating the kind of holistic disciples that Jesus envisioned, The jury's decision came back a long time ago. Small groups just aren't working. And maybe you've experienced this kind of breakdown in the small group. You're new to a church. You have no connection points. You've heard about it. You've read about it on the Internet. A friend told you about it. So you walk in, sometimes all by yourself, and you're hoping for some kind of connection. But because you're in the large megachurch where nobody pays attention, or it's all manufactured, glad hand, hi, how are you, good to see you, five, six times as you pass certain key entry points down the sidewalk. Or if it's because it's Scum of the Earth Church and we're a bunch of uh, folks who don't really care about being that friendly, you find yourself looking for connection. You can't, so you think, I know what it is. I'm going to join a small group. And so you go back to the scoop of scum, you get the small group sheet out, you look and you go, oh, I want to go to that Bible study, and you go there, and what you find is a group of people who have been relating for the last couple years. And they all know each other. And they treat you coolly, but politely. And then nobody calls you again until the next week. So you go back the next week, and you go to the big church, and you get these connection points, but you feel like, I just can't make it on the inside. Part of the reason is, and I look at it from the small group's standpoint. These people have been relating for a while. They've been beat up by their churches, other Christians, by their parents, by their siblings, by their bosses, by their teachers, by their colleagues at school. And they found a place of connection, a safe place where everybody knows everybody else's junk. And all of a sudden, the new person walks in. And all of a sudden, it's not a safe place anymore because we don't know what you're like. You could turn on us in a heartbeat. You could, you could expose my secrets that I've waited a year to tell people here. And you could just go out and blab them on the street. I don't know if you're to be trusted. So there's that dynamic too. Small groups are a weird thing. Church says you got to be in them. You want to be in them. And you go and you find this impenetrable wall to a degree. I mean, they're nice. They're Christians. They have to be nice. So, one of the things I want to talk about at Scum of the Earth Church, in terms of the state of Scum of the Earth Church, we have always been a church, believe it or not, that is very intentional about community. Extremely intentional about community. 
And yet, it's been this enigma. Because it all depends who you meet and when you meet them. So, that's why we have these meals. Did you ever notice that we have a meal smack dab in the middle of the service? Do you ever wonder why that is? It's because the founders of Scum of the Earth Church wanted to take this concept of community and elevate it to a position of worship. We want to put relating right smack dab in the middle of the service. I can't, I keep going away, I, I, I keep wanting to call it fellowship, but we said a long time ago, 12 years ago, that we would never call it fellowship. It's hangout time. Why? Because the word fellowship carried connotations of stale cookies and bad coffee and, and uh, you know, shallow conversations that they didn't want to get into. And these usually after church, only a few people stay. So we took this idea of hanging out, this idea of relating to one another and stuck it right smack dab in the middle of the service. And even then it becomes difficult, right? Because at least when you're sitting down having the same pasta dish, you can say, did you get the vegetarian one? I got the one with the meat. Or do you like it? I don't like it. Did you get some bread? No, they were out of bread. Did you get some, you know, I wish they had coffee. I mean, you can have these conversations, you know. Is this all we get? How come there's no green leafy vegetables? I wonder what they're going to do with the leftovers. There's so many. You can have all these little conversations and begin to at least know people's names. Table fellowship is what Craig Blomberg would call it in one of his books. And it's one of the things that marks the scum of the earth. And yet, we've got this reputation for being unfriendly. There's the conundrum. Where can we go? How can we help find some answers about what this is supposed to look like? Maybe the Bible. We're a church after all. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 4. If not, it should be on the wall there to my right. Now, let me set this passage up for you. The church in Jerusalem has had tremendous growth. Spectacular growth. They've gone from 120 people in a room waiting for the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension into heaven to probably over 10,000 people in a short time. 10,000. 120 to 10,000. They've become a mega church in a matter of weeks. Because you had, you know, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, all came before this. And Peter and John are walking to the temple, and they see this dude has been lying there, probably since the time uh, when they were walking there with Jesus. Now, this is an interesting thing. This is totally a a sidelight. But do you ever wonder, in this particular passage, when Peter and John heal a man who was born crippled, it's like, how come Jesus didn't heal him? How come Jesus walked by him? You mean Jesus didn't heal everybody he came across? Evidently not. Because the guy was over 40 years old and had been there begging outside the temple for years. And for some reason, the Spirit comes on Peter. Peter says, look, I don't have gold, I don't have silver, but what I do have, I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
get up. And he grabs the guy's hand. The guy stands up and starts leaping and jumping and praising God. And he goes in the temple. Oh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And all people are going crazy. You know, the, the authorities hear about it. So the temple police come and, and they, they arrest Peter and John. They bring him before the high priest and the Sanhedrin council. And they're going, what are you guys doing? What is going on? Peter and John say, well, listen, this is all from Jesus that you rejected. And, you know, it pisses those guys off, but they really can't do anything right then because everybody's going, it's a miracle, it's a miracle, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And so they let him go after letting him spend a night in jail. And this is what happens right after that. It's kind of like the denouement. It's the, the tail end of the story. But I think it's really, really important. On their release, this is 423, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand against the rulers, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's go back to the very, very first sentence of that little passage. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, commentators are divided on this, but most of them think they didn't go back to those 10,000 new converts who were waiting for them in the city of Jerusalem. That when they say their own people, it's an idiom for their own little group of guys and gals who had been with them for a long time. Their own people. Out of that 10,000, Peter and John had a small group of people to whom they could report what had happened. And the question is, when something traumatic happens to you, do you have a group of people to whom you can report and who will report back to you what's been going on in their lives? When something fantastic happens, do you have a group of people who can rejoice with you and with whom you can rejoice when something fantastic happens in their lives? And furthermore, when something both traumatic and fantastic happens, as it did in this story, do you have a group of people to whom you can go and report what's been going on and whom can report back to you what has been going on? 
Because it seems like Peter and John did. And they were like primo apostle guys. They've been with Jesus for three years, walking and talking. If anybody should be self-sufficient at this particular point, after having walked with Jesus and been given the Holy Spirit, where they're speaking in other tongues and healing people and doing miracles, it would seem that Peter and John could have been the Lone Ranger and Tonto. But they were not. They had people to whom they could go and report. And if they needed people, then you need people even more. And I need people even more because I'm a long, long way away from where these guys were. Most of you know that uh, I meet and and have been meeting for over a dozen years with the preaching team. It's three other pastors and I who meet. All of us are in different churches. And these guys know all of my crap. They know when I'm not getting along with my lovely wife, Mary. And if it's my fault, they will be glad to point that out to me. They know when things are going wrong with my children. They know when things are going wrong here. They know when things are tough with my finances. They know when I'm struggling with my own spirituality, when I'm having difficulty obeying what I know God wants me to do or not to do. They know everything. And I know everything about them. It's so much safer as a pastor to have a place where you don't have to hide than it is to be any kind of a leader and feel like you've got to put on some kind of a plastic, fantastic Christian facade so that people think you're following Jesus. I've heard pastors say words in the preaching team that they will be fired for saying from the pulpit. But it's a safe place. Now, what would that be like if a new pastor came and joined us? Now, we had just such a possibility. John Guider, the new pastor at Corona Press, who many of you have met, was thinking about, we were thinking about inviting him to come and be part of us. But, you know, it's like at that point, there's so much water under the bridge. There is, there is, there is so much history. There's so much dark history that you just don't want to bring them up to speed on, that we decided no. But I felt called to meet with John. Matter of fact, I had a dream about helping John and meeting with John. And so I gave him a call. I said, hey, John, let's get together for lunch. When he first got here as a new pastor at Corona, he didn't call me back. I mean, it's kind of weird. I used to work there. He's a new pastor. I probably know more pe- people than him. So I called him again, you know, a month later. Still no reply. I called him again a month later. We, you know, finally, I think I guilted him in having lunch with me. And we actually got along pretty well. 
We've been meeting every other week now for the last couple of years, and it's been beautiful and wonderful. It's one of those deals where, you know, I mean, can you sign up for that on a sheet back at the Scoop and Scum? Is it possible to do that kind of thing? Not all the time. See what I'm saying? It's just important to have a group of people to whom you can report. The second thing they did was pray. The first thing they did was pray to a sovereign God. Remember, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they went on to pray. So it's a group of people with whom Peter and John felt they could pray. Now, that's a distinctly smaller subset than just anybody you can report to. It's got to be somebody who is under the same sovereign Lord. Sovereign means one that exercises supreme and permanent authority. That's what the word sovereign means. That they had people who saw God as God, as the one to whom they owed their obedience and their allegiance, the one to whom they went for forgiveness and mercy. So it wasn't just any group of people they could report to. It was a specific kind of person with whom they could pray to a sovereign God. And what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. They didn't pray for protection from Satan's attacks. They prayed that they could keep being bold. So, you know, it's not just the kind of people that will, oh, that's okay. I'm so sorry that they arrested you and put you in jail. You're better than that, really. They don't know what they're doing. It's, hey, this is amazing. You've been chosen to to bear ignominy for the sake of the name. You've been persecuted for the sake of Jesus. We're going to pray that you go out there and you are more vocal than ever before. Those are the kind of people you want to be with. People are going to encourage you to be better. When it comes to the preaching team, I remember there was a person in my life I did not want to forgive. Had hurt me very, very badly, and they jumped on my ass. You know, Mike, if you don't forgive that guy, then God's not going to forgive you. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying condemnation on yourself. Do you understand that, Mike? You've got to go forgive that guy. Get off of my back, guys. I'm just trying to make sense of my life. And you're telling me i got to go rustle it up, try to get things calm. And you're telling me i got to go stir it up. But they were right. They encouraged me to be bold in the faith and to go ahead. And even the person didn't care whether I forgave him or not. Those are the kind of folks you want. People who will pray for you to be bold in your faith. And then they also prayed for miracles and signs in Jesus' name. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs, wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Sometimes I wonder how many times God is waiting for us to pray for the people that we love He's got healing waiting in his pocket. But he can't bring it out because we haven't asked him. 
I don't know. But I believe the Scriptures, that it happens. I've seen it happen on occasion. I wonder how many times I've missed it because I haven't asked. So you should meet with people not only who encourage you to be bold, but people who will pray that God's best, God's fullness, God's gifts, God will work through you to help other people. And, and, and who shoot for the stars. Oh yeah, healings, miracles, words of knowledge, prophecies, great wisdom. Those kind of things to happen. That's the kind of folks you want to try to hang with. If you're not doing it in your current groups, start doing it. Start asking God to show his mighty hand of power working through the folks in your group. Let's see what happens. What do we got to lose? Nothing. The third thing that this group did was to memorize the scriptures together. Now you go, where's that, Mike? Well, they actually quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's all Psalm 2, written by King David, in prophetic fashion. And this is the weird thing, is that their group knew this. It was inside of them. They had consumed the word of God together as a people, as a small group of people. And, and, and kind of when you, when you cut them, they, they bled the Bible. That's what I want to see. Is I want to be with the kind of people who, when you cut them, they bleed Bible. In Steve Garcia, part of the preaching team, when he was, he was like the Bible answer boy uh, when he was in the Grace Brethren churches. I mean, he just was this memorizing scripture machine. And Jim grew up in a Christian household and knows, I mean, me, you know, I mean, I didn't even know what was going on for the first 20 years of my life when it came to religion. Most of it was in Greek. We didn't have Bible studies. I knew a couple Bible stories because I was in Sunday school. But these guys are amazing. And, you know, I'll be in a situation, they'll bring a passage of Scripture up, either for my own personal benefit or for your benefit. Those are the kind of folks you want to be around. And you want to, to read the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures, according to the Bible, the Scriptures are these. The Scriptures are a mirror to show us ourselves, James says, in chapter 1, verse 23, that when we look into the Bible, it actually is a mirror that reflects back and tells us what we really look like in God's eyes. Because we can deceive ourselves, can't we, about what we look like spiritually? It's a hammer to break our will, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 23 of his book. It's a fire to melt our hearts in Malachi 3.2. It's a sword to pierce our consciences in Hebrews 4. And it's a light to show the path, the psalmist says in Psalm 119. It's a light for our feet. 
And then after they got done expositing and applying the scriptures to what was going on in their life right then, the fourth thing they did was they urged the Peter and John to proclaim the word of God. And verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's the way to end a prayer time, isn't it, with an earthquake? They knew the Old Testament passages. They knew that that when, when the earth shook in a time of battle for Israel, it meant that God was working on their behalf. God was running interference for them to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus. It doesn't matter in this small group how you proclaim the name of Jesus as long as you do it. Sometimes it's through actions. Sometimes it's through words. As the songwriter Mark Hurd used to sing, not the, knock the scales from not my eyes. Knock the words from my lungs. I want to cry out. It's on the tip of my tongue. Knock the scales from my eyes. Knock the words from my lungs. I want to cry out. It's on the tip of my tongue. And sometimes we just need a little help to get it from the tip of our tongues out because we have the words of eternal life for folks. And after we get done praying together in these God-ordained small groups of people, very often, we're given the required boldness to go out and actually make a difference and say something to the people we work with or we go to school with, maybe even to bosses, maybe even to teachers, to neighbors. So we have this agenda for one of the church's very first small groups, right? Um, And they were reporting, praying, scripture reading, and proclaiming. Four things. I think there's other things that small groups can do, like play disc golf or eat. Or they can answer the questions of an idiot. There was an existing small group my senior year of high school that invited me to come and participate. And I was, wasn't even a believer. It was an existing small group. It kind of like I had to go back and sign up and go. And it was in that context of that small group of people that the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my life and changed me forever. So I don't want to put down the idea of going back to the scoop at scum and signing up for some kind of a small group and going there for the first time wondering if anybody is going to speak to you or if your potential mates may be there. I mean, it worked for me in that I met Jesus in that group. 
that I never would have found. But what I want to say tonight is, is that it seems to me from reading the scriptures that very often the small groups that God puts us in at various portions in our lives are somewhat accidental. And as I look at my life and I look at the small groups I've been a part of, I, I didn't really plan them out, the best ones, very often. I just had to be aware of what God was doing in my life, that maybe there's a group of people that I really like hanging out with because they encourage me in my faith, because they're people that I respect who know the Bible better than I do. It doesn't have to be a scum of the earth small group where you go back and you sign up at the scoop at scum. It could be people who get together to clean the church. I know from firsthand testimony that back in the day when we were first here, that the guys who got together to sweep and clean the toilets and whatever else ended up having the sweetest hangout time while they were cleaning the church building. And then they would go out afterwards and they would go get, get lunch. And they never planned for that to happen. It became foundational in their Christian walk. Accidental. Maybe. Maybe God has his own sign-up sheet. And we just need to be aware. And it can change from time to time. I've been part of church-ordained small groups that have been full of life. I've been part of church-ordained groups that have been just going through the motions. But almost all the time, these kinds of organic little gatherings of people have been things that have changed my life for the best. I mean, the big group's cool. Sermons are great, maybe. You remember them for a day or so. I kind of look at sermons as like continuing ed 201 for the Christian. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to go to church. I get a chance to sing with all these people, worship God, listen to a message that, you know, someone spent hours preparing, hopefully, and actually has some insights and brings up things I would normally not have thought about. But not many people are going to have life change in this context. But when a guy in my small group opens up about his addiction to Internet porn and how it's destroying his view of women and begs us to pray for him, and we begin to call him, how are you doing tonight? Hey, if you get tempted, just call me. I don't care what time of the night it is. Call me. We'll talk. We'll go out for a coke. We'll do anything. But I know you don't want to go down that road because down that road is death. That's where life change happens. When somebody begins to learn the scriptures, we've had guys in small groups didn't know there was an Old Testament or a New Testament. And what was most heartbreaking, they didn't know Jesus at all. But in the context of a small group of people, they got to know Jesus. You see, that's why these small groups are important. And scum values your interaction with small groups of people. It's great to come to scum and be anonymous. But it's better to be known intimately by a few. 
And so what I'm asking you to do is this. Be on the lookout for those organic gatherings of people that you had not planned. You're probably already doing it. You just haven't put a tag on it. This is my people. These are the people to whom I report what's going on in my life. These are the people who pray for me. And if you don't pray together, then add that part. We've already got the reporting part down. Let's get the praying part down. But if you're just stuck, please go back to the scoop at scum and get a paper that has all the small groups that are meeting and make the awkward first impression. Because God is in the gathering of his people. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for encouraging us through your holy apostles to seek the kind of relationship that is good for our spiritual growth. Lord, let scum of the earth be one of the most authentically friendly places in the city to your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.